Well, thank you very much. Good morning, everybody, and a very happy new year to you. It's 2023. Can I hear a hallelujah? Are you glad to leave 2022 behind? And have you had a good Christmas? Yeah? Who ate too much Christmas turkey? Lots. Who ate too much Christmas pudding? Who ate too many Brussels sprouts? Welcome, team. Can you just open a few doors for the Brussels sprout people? True story, I have a friend who's in ministry now and he had a, a big dog, you know the Turner and Hooch dog, the dog de Bordeaux? Um, and after Christmas lunch, the dog broke into the kitchen and ate a pound of leftover Brussels sprouts. You know what's coming. I'm told the entire house was completely uninhabitable for the next 36 hours. <laughs> if anybody feels that God is speaking to them through that illustration, please just come and receive prayer afterwards. I'd just like to welcome everybody. Um, if you're watching online, it's great to see you too. You may be watching by way of recording in a few days' time. You're very much part of this service. As we go through, you'll find Bibles in the, in the backs of the chairs in front of you. You're welcome to pick up those and read them and even take one home if you need a Bible to read. Um, John asked me to preach, and uh, I thought, what should I speak on? You know, we, we think at New Year, we think about New Year's resolutions, New Year, New You, and I thought that you know, most of the time when I think about New Year's resolutions, I don't know if you agree with me, it's usually other people whose behavior is most in need of modification. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you think, you look at people and you think, well, you could learn to park your car a bit more tidily, and you could remember to take your dog poo bags home and not hang them on tree branches. You could speak more nicely to your children. You know, when it comes to sort of behavior modification, that's, it, it, it doesn't really sort of light my spiritual fire. And because we're a church that is seeking God and we're charismatic and dynamic, we want to be involved in the purposes of God. I don't want to preach a, 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 a text or a theme that is only going to last as long as our New Year's resolutions. I want something that's going to be as relevant to us on Sunday the 31st of December 2023 as it is here today, Sunday the 1st of January 2023. Is that all right? So please turn with me to uh, John chapter 16. Yeah, I mean, some people are resolving to go into the gym. You're going to go into the gym every day, pump the iron. You think you're going to come out looking like Lance? Not going to happen. Instead, you can just stay home and read books and look like me. John chapter 16. Let's, let's preach. I'm not here to do stand-up. Let's preach. John chapter 16. <laughs> yeah, I'll leave Lance alone. We'll preach. John chapter 16, verse 33. This verse grabbed me when I was sitting on a, on a tube train in, in Germany, and I, I read it in German, and I thought, what is this verse all about? So here it is in English. I have told you these things, Jesus said, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Shall I read that again? It's short and sweet and it's powerful. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I wonder when we think back on the events of 2022, it's been a turbulent year, no doubt there have been some wonderful things that have happened. Some of us may have got married, some of us may have got engaged, some of us may have had a baby, some of us may have passed an important exam or graduated from university or got a new job. But there have also been many turbulent things. We may have lost a loved one. A relationship may have broken down. Somebody that you love may have got sick. And can anybody just remember and just shout out some of the events that have happened in 2022 in the news? Just, just shout them out. Queen died. Queen's Jubilee, I think that was a couple of years earlier, was it the Jubilee? Um, or was it this year? 
Okay, <laughs> I'm not Mr. Current Affairs, you tell me. What else has happened? <laughs> Russia invaded Ukraine. I'm one-eighth Ukrainian, I felt that. Um, anything else? Who died? Pele died, yes, just this week. Who else died just this week? Who died yesterday? The Pope. You know, just as, just as we thought 2022 couldn't pitch any more surprises, the Pope died. And any, any, any more, any more, just one more. Who did? Debbie Titus. I clearly don't watch enough TV. Christian woman, ah, oh, yes. So you see, a lot of turbulent things have happened. And in fact, I just want to quote from the Pope briefly since we lost him yesterday. He said this, God is not distant. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is no stranger. He has a face, the face of Jesus. So what I want to do is just bring five sayings of Jesus, five promises of Jesus that are going to stand with us and sustain us for this coming year in a world that is turbulent. Is that all right with you guys this morning? Okay. So in this verse that we're starting with, Jesus is at the Last Supper. He's already washed his disciples' feet. And things are now taking place that are beyond all control, and, and there is no chance to put the brakes on and rein them in. The man who would betray Jesus has already gone out to meet the Pharisees and to hand Jesus over to them. And Jesus is now speaking to his disciples about what it will mean for him to go to the cross and what is about to come. Now, I don't know about you, but when you look at a cult leader who's standing up to oppose the ideology of the day, and he's bringing in a radical new teaching, you would think that in your last days on earth, you might be preparing your troops and, and your disciples in a very different way. You might be getting the rifles ready, and the music will be playing in the background. You're handing out the hand grenades, you're building barricades, you're welding some equipment that's going to help you save the day. And then when that moment comes when you're encountering the authorities and the forces of, this evil, of evil of this world, you're going to burst forth and it's going to be the J team. And you go out there with guns blazing and you attack the forces of the world that are against you or at least the police or whoever it is you've got your beef with and you think we're going to win, we're going to stand for truth and righteousness and justice and everybody's going to see the righteousness of our cause and everybody gets killed. That's the way that it works, isn't it, with radicals who espouse their own religions and stand up against authority and try and claim godliness for themselves. And Jesus is doing none of that. He's not readying weapons. He's not telling people to fight. He's not telling people to put on armor and confront the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Romans in, in some battle of, of flesh and, and of arms. But he's preparing his disciples for what's going to come with a message of peace. And he says, in me, you will have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus knows in the last few hours of freedom with his disciples that what will happen in the next few days between now Thursday night and Sunday is going to bring God's eternal plans to fruition. Everything since the creation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and their fall into sin, all the evil that results, God's plan that he works out through the Old Testament with the Israelites, the temple, the law, the commandments, Israel coming and going and being, being unfaithful to God and coming back again and God continually calling the people back to himself through the prophets and then prophesying the entrance of Jesus into the world. Everything rests on this weekend. 
And Jesus knows he is going to face certain death. He's never going to sleep in a bed again this side of the resurrection because he's going to go out that night, he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be led to the cross, and he's going to be crucified. And yet, instead of standing up against the authorities and leading an armed assault, he is preparing his disciples with this word, I have overcome the world, and in me you may have peace. A few weeks later, he's going to come to the point of saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. In this moment, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is completely assured of who he is and what he is here to do. He is not panicking. And folks, I want to say, and this is what I'm going to reiterate again and again through my message this morning, this is the Lord Jesus who is with us. In troubled times, he is saying, have peace because I have overcome the world. And even facing death on a cross, he knows that the Father's purposes are sovereign. The Father's purposes are supreme. And no matter what the threat looks like, God's promises are going to be fulfilled. Amen. Carmen sings. Have you heard of the the, the Christian singer Carmen? C-A-R-M-A-N? Three people, four people. Oh, two people raising hands at the back. He's fantastic. And he sings a song called Sunday's on the way. It may look like Friday, but Sunday's coming. Sunday is on the way. And Jesus is looking forward to Sunday being on the way when he'll be resurrected. So the first, mess- the first take heart I want, to, want you to take away this morning is take heart for I have overcome the world. The second one is take heart for I will build my church. Let's have a look at Matthew chapter 16. There's lots of scripture in this message this morning. It's like a Christmas cake. There's lots of rich bits for you to chew on. Matthew chapter 16, and and, uh, we'll we'll look at verse 18. And Jesus says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I will build my church, says Jesus. God is continually building his church. The church is not on the back foot. The church is not in defeat. The church is never at a loss because God is continually building his church. And I thank God that we here are in a church where the Holy Spirit is welcome, where we are empowered by God, where we are open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We see God ministering in all kinds of ways, setting people free, giving direction, bringing healing. Sarah talked about it just now. Just wonderful things that God is doing, and God is continuing to grow that. God is always building his church. Look over on um, Ephesians chapter 3 with me. I absolutely love this verse because it was one of those verses that you, you, you don't know is there and it kind of jumped out at me. Um, God's intent, um, he, Ephesians 3.10, his intent was now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to God's eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. You see, God's plan for revealing himself to the world in this age is not other than the church. It's not angels. He's not saying, Gabriel, I need you to go again as you did when you announced the birth of Jesus and tell everybody that Jesus is Lord. He's not doing, putting signs in the sky. He's not moving the stars around. The purpose of God in this day and generation is to reveal himself through the church. That's why spiritual gifts are still current. I know we're not cessationists. We don't believe that the spiritual gifts have died out. But God gives us spiritual gifts and empowerment in order that we can reach this generation and demonstrate that God is real. 
because his purposes are continually being worked out through the church. There's no plan B. There's no church B. He's not going to say, now, John and Sarah, I'm not so sure about this coastline vineyard charismatic thing. I think we're going to just wrap this up. Let's give it to somebody else. Let's give it to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Don't celebrate anybody's birthdays, but, you know, just hand out those magazines. You'll be cool. Amen. (laughs) He's not going to change his mind about the church. He's not going to say, you know what, they're a load of ridiculous fuddy-duddies and I just wish I hadn't bothered. Because God's plan is the church. And I forgot something I wanted to start off my message with, actually, which is that guess what else we're celebrating besides New Year's Day today? It's one year of John and Sarah in leadership. (laughs) Haven't they done a fantastic job? Aren't we grateful for them? Yeah. God's working out his will and his plan through the church. And I, as a young Christian, this was one of the greatest things that just grabbed my heart, is that God wants to use us. And it doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter how many qualifications you've got or not got. It doesn't matter how sporty or physically developed you are. God wants to use each and every one of us. He knits us together into a body in which every part is valuable. And he gives gifts to each of us by which we can minister. He fills us with his spirit. He empowers us in order to share the gospel with people. And I tell you what, I was so blessed just to walk in here today. The number of people that have prayed for me, the number of people that have given words just before I got ready to stand up. And, you know, this is how the body ministers to to one another, but we also get to minister life to the world outside. And we demonstrate the wisdom of God. Do we wake up every morning feeling like we're full of the wisdom of God? I don't know about that. But yet God has, has chosen weak limited human beings who mess up a lot, just like Simon Peter and the disciples did. And he chooses us to reveal the great things of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And I tell you, there's a spiritual conflict. There's a, there's a well-known verse in Ephesians 6 which says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a spiritual conflict. Sometimes when you pray, you will feel it that you'll actually feel like you're kind of rubbing up against the forces of evil or you'll feel inspired like you're in battle. We're in a spiritual battle. And I've just lost my verse. Let's have a look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. If I can find it, I've marked some and I've not marked others. There we go. When we were dead in our sins, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, when we were dead in our sins and in the uncircumcision of our sinful nature, God made us alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, the principalities and the powers, the forces of evil that Satan lines up in order to take men and women captive and in order to control the destiny of nations, they have already been defeated at the cross. When Sarah spoke a few months ago, you were talking about being involved in London, I believe, in in a, a prayer movement and a ministry. And was it a sex trafficking ring that was dismantled because of the prayer and the ministry that you did? I was involved in something at school. Somebody came to us at school and said, there's a drug ring operating in the school and they knew we were Christians. What should we do? Should we tell a teacher? I said, yeah, let's tell the teachers. And that ended with 17 kids being suspended and two were expelled. Um, Not that God wants people to be expelled from school, but when we are praying, when we are ministering in the power of God, then God will rise up and he will cause us as the church to rise up against the forces of evil that are trying to hold our town captive. 
and we're already doing it. We have wonderful ministries that are reaching people. We've got Joy Cafe that's doing great things with people who are in all kinds of backgrounds. You know, uh, single parents who are struggling. People with drug addictions are coming in and they're getting saved and set free. People who don't know where to turn are finding respite and relief and hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Emma's leading the wonderful recoveries, um, Steps to Active Recovery, the Star Course, and ministering to many, even nationwide, who are bound in addiction and people are being set free. But in a greater sense, you know, we minister to individuals, but God has also called us to be a witness to our town and to stand up against the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. They will be broken down as we lift up the name of Jesus, as we seek the kingdom of God, as we say, Lord God, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we continually seek the face of God, those things will have no place to hide. They will be exposed. Ben's got a great smile on his face. That's really speaking to you, is it? That's awesome. God just does incredible things. And, you know, how, how did it come about? How did Jesus actually do this? There's a, there's a film that, uh, in, when I was young, you weren't allowed to watch. And I don't recommend you watch it. And I'm not going to ask you guess it in case you guess, guess wrong and give away stuff that you've been watching that you shouldn't be. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> does anyone remember the Rambo movies? Yeah, I'm going to get in trouble for talking about this. Um, the second Rambo, I, I really don't recommend you watch them. I read the plot again on Wikipedia this week, and I just thought, no, no, don't, don't watch it. But there's something I like about Rambo. He is given a mission to go into the, the, the Vietnamese jungle and try to see if he can find some prisoners of war who've been taken captive and forgotten about. But his superiors t do a dirty on him, and they tell him they do not want him to proceed with rescuing them. They, ju they just want to forget about these people. So what does Rambo do? He takes on a mission that nobody wants. He arms himself up. He has conviction in his heart, and he goes into the enemy camp, and he rescues all the prisoners of war. And it's a nasty, violent movie, and you definitely shouldn't watch it. <laughs> but doesn't that remind you of somebody? You see, I like to think of Jesus, after he's been crucified, he goes down into the grave, and the Bible says that he descended into the lower earthly regions, or below the earth, and I like to imagine that the demons are in hell, and they're celebrating crucifying Jesus, they're celebrating wiping out the Son of God, and they think, you know what, we're free now to do whatever we want, and we've won, because this God stuff is in the can. Forget Jesus. And suddenly on that Saturday morning, there is a rumbling in the caverns of hell. And there is a noise, and there is a commotion, and suddenly Jesus bursts in, and his fiery arrows are bouncing off his chest like the, you know, he's like the Terminator, wrenching the doors off the prisons and setting the captives free. And he comes to a spirit, and he says, what spirit are you? And a spirit says, I am the spirit that binds people in false religion and false teaching. And Jesus goes, oh, really? <clears throat> And he comes to another spirit. What spirit are you? I'm the spirit that holds people in drug addiction. Oh, yeah. Go and see Emma Heath. She'll sort you out. And he comes to another spirit. What spirit are you? I'm the spirit that causes the kids to doubt their identity and to harm themselves. Oh, really? Get that spirit out of here in Jesus' name. You know, he has defeated those spirits. He has defeated those spirits, and we walk in that victory that Jesus has won. So that when we come to these situations in the name of Jesus, it's a clean-up operation. Jesus has already given us the power. And when we declare his glory and his goodness to people, those chains will be broken. Amen. Are we going to see more of it? Are we going to see more of it? Fantastic.
So when we pray, when we pray for situations, we could be here till one o'clock, or I hope you've not got a turkey in the oven or anything. <laughs> when we pray for situations, let's learn to pray prayers that are specific and targeted because of the rights and the authority that Jesus has given us. I don't know what kind of church you might have grown up in, but I grew up in a, a more conservative church. I don't think they'd have let me preach. They certainly weren't blessed when I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and you, you might have grown up in a similar situation where you pray prayers, dear God, please bless the school. Dear God, please let them not be nervous when they're taking their exams. Amen. There's nothing wrong with praying that kind of prayer. But I don't think it does justice to many of the issues that are, that are affecting our town and the people in it. I don't think it does justice to the spiritual battle that we're in. And when we get a heart for what we're praying for and we begin to pray with insight and we think, what are the needs? How about the teachers whose marriages are on the rocks? How about praying that the teachers would have a spirit of discernment so they stand up against the false ideology that's being infiltrated into the schools? How about the kids whose dads are not there half the time? How about the kids that are growing up with domestic violence? How about the kids that are growing up with, conf with confusion? And we pray for them in specific ways. And we come against those spirits of the age that are trying to hold them in bondage. And before we know it, those results are coming out, like the sex trafficking rings and the drug trafficking rings being shut down. The glory of God will begin to work in those schools or the hospitals or the workplaces, wherever it is, as we pray specifically and targeted with a burden for the things that are going on, where we take those things on our hearts. Jesus has so many spiritual victories in store for us. We're absolutely going to see it. What was the title of that point? I will build my church. You know these buildings? I found this on Wikipedia. St. Albans Church is a grade two listed Gothic revival Anglican church in the Charminster area of Bournemouth, Dorset, England. The church stands across Charminster Road from the Church of the Annunciation, which is not quite as good as... No, that's not him. <laughs> The church was designed by George Fellows Prynne, you all know who he is, and built as a mother church of St. Augustine's Church. The foundation stone was laid on 8th of October 1907, and the church was opened on 3rd of June 1909. The building is currently occupied and used by Coastline Vineyard, a charismatic church belonging to the Vineyard Movement. Guess who put that sentence in on Thursday night? <laughs> We're on the map, folks. So this church is nearly 115, 116 years old. And it's very tempting when we look at, look at churches, old stone buildings, to think, you know, how, how can the life of God be in those? But we, in the plans and purposes of God, we are at the end of a very long line of churches and church movements on all the things God has been doing for the last 2,000 years since Jesus went to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe there's life in all God's churches. Some of it may need a little more breathing on than others. But there's life in all God's churches. There's life in all parts of the body of Christ. And God is continually stirring up that life. And I just love it when I get to see, you know, I've been to a couple of different churches in, in the last year where just there might be a more elderly congregation. They might not quite have the, the same spirit-filled life that we have, but faithful believers who've been seeking God all their lives, praying all their lives, clinging on to God and standing on the gospel all their lives. And God is, God is just so powerful, and he's working in so many ways. And I, I want us to just get thrilled with the idea that God is working in all parts of his body, and to reach out to those others, and, and, and to share the life that we have in Jesus with them. So take heart number two is, I'll build my church. Take heart number three is, I'm going to have to preach 30 minutes of sermon in 10 minutes to get finished. 
Take heart number three. I'm preparing a place for you. John chapter 14. I'll be quick. Do not let your hearts be troubled. There it is again. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. You see, folks, we belong to a different place and we're called to a different place ultimately. Heaven is real. There's a movement in the church at the moment, and fortunately it's not in this church, um, that is minimizing what heaven and hell are about. And they're saying, you know, I, I think maybe heaven and hell are, are what we make of life on this earth, and really it's all about whether you're a nice person. That's not correct. Heaven is a real place. God lives there, and one day we will be there with him. And Jesus has talked about we, he is preparing a place for us. And I just want to, I think, alert us as, as we are in an age in which there is a spiritual battle, there's also a battle in terms of what we're believing. Because false teachers will sound very persuasive. They will sound like they have all the right concerns. We don't want to judge anybody, we don't want to put anybody on the spot, is what they will say. But they will actually end up taking things out of the gospel and out of the Bible until you end up with not very much gospel or Bible left. There's a guy whose technique was to say, well, you know, Jesus was resurrected and he didn't say very much after his resurrection about heaven. Therefore, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that heaven's all that big of an issue. Oh, really? We've just read here in John chapter 14 where on the night he was betrayed, Jesus is talking about heaven. If it's the night you know you're going to die and you're talking about heaven, you bet it's important to Jesus. And we are citizens of heaven. There's um, Philippians chapter 3. Join with others in following my example, brothers. This is Philippians 3, verse 17. And take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For, as I have told you often before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their shame, and their glory is... Sorry, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. This world is going to seem like it's not our home at times. This is one reason why Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. is because after we become born again and we have the Holy Spirit from God inside of us, the world is going to seem like a strange place. We are running counter to the grain of what this world's thoughts are all about and what this world's ambitions are all about. Their destiny is destruction. It's amazing, isn't it? We look at so much of what the world clings on to and yet so, so much of it is bound up with death and destruction. Jesus comes to offer us life and hope. Their God is their stomach. In, in Greek culture, the stomach was thought to be the seat of the soul and the spirit. So your stomach was not only your appetites, but it was also everything that you are. Their God is their stomach. It's self-centeredness, self-centered appetites. And their glory is in their shame. A lot of things that the world celebrates are actually shameful. And it's right that when we look at those things, we think, do you know what? I don't want any part of that. Do you know what? I'm disgusted by that. Do you know what? That is contrary to the Spirit of God. And that's not so we condemn those people. We want those people to come out of that bondage and be set free. But it is right to recognize that those things are shameful. And then in the same way as that, that woman in, um, in John chapter 8 who was caught in adultery was brought before Jesus. Jesus lifted her up out of our shame. He doesn't say, well, you sinned too bad for you. Go away. He says, you sinned I love you, 
I forgive you. Come and be saved, be born again, and be part of the family of God today. So our citizenship is in heaven. So are our values from heaven? Are we living like heavenly citizens? Are we living as people who remember that we're empowered by God and that our lives and our destinies and the whole of what will unfold in 2023 are held in God's hands? Are we petty, jealous, hateful, vindictive, resentful, trying to trample other people down? Or are we patient, kind, loving, gentle, generous and godly? Moving swiftly on. You are going to see, you know, ugly and distressing things in this world. But Jesus is saying, take heart, I have overcome all those things. Number four, Jesus says, take heart, I will return. John 14, verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus is coming back one day soon. There's an event. Yes, yes, you can cheer for that. Thank you, Chris. Chris is excited. I'm not going to get into the whole of end time theology now because it's a very big topic, but let's just look ever so briefly at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 15. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Jesus is coming back. And, you know, whether you believe in the literal rapture or not, I want to suggest to you that every time God moves and every time he's introduced Jesus to the world, it has been more glorious. As a baby, he was announced by angels. Then came his, his ministry and the miracles. Then came his crucifixion, and the earth was rent in two, and the sky was dark. Then came his resurrection. Then came his ascension. I think that when Jesus comes back to claim all of his church, it is going to be completely unmissable. Amen? Amen? And, uh, you know, the Bible talks about just the signs that will be seen in the earth, and the signs that will be seen in the heavens. I think it's going to be spectacular. Jesus is coming back. And what is he coming back to? The Bible talks about the church being the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. There is going to be a marriage feast in heaven one day in which Jesus will be united with the church. And he's coming to a church that is glorious. Um, Ephesians 4 says this just briefly, Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and presenting her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. You see, God's purpose for the church, and he'll be working it out this year, is going to be to refine us, to remove from us all hints of desire for sin and all hints of unfaithfulness. If you read the Old Testament... God has this continual wrestle with the nation of Israel where they're becoming unfaithful. They're running after false gods. They're getting involved in sexual immorality. They keep turning against God, and God keeps bringing them back through the prophets. But in the church, God, God is going to refine us, and he's going to cause our hearts to, to cleave ever more closely to God's purposes. I, uh, there's a book I want to write, and I'm not going to write it, um, and the title was going to be um, The Church, Bride, Frump, or Whore. And the reason I'm not going to write that is because of sexism, and you can't say it, and it won't sell any copies, okay? Um, and I'm going to explain what I mean, if I can. <laughs> it's going to be terrible if I dry up now, because you're just going to be left with that. And, uh... 
Let's just meditate on it for a moment. The church, Bride Frumpel Hall, what kind of church is Jesus coming back to? Is it a church that's become dowdy and is just going through the motions where our worship might pass our lips but it doesn't touch our hearts or change us and we don't encounter God? Is the church prostituting itself to other religions or to other philosophies or to sinful ideologies? Or are we ambitious to be the bride of Christ? Are we looking to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you are the lover of my soul. I want to keep myself pure and holy for you. That's going to be so important, more so in the future, because the pressure is on, folks, and more and more church leaders are finding things to mix in with the gospel that haven't come from the lips of Jesus or the apostles. So we will need to be aware of how those false teachings are insidious. Haven't got time to go through them all today, but Let's just make it our prayer in this year that we would be ever more the bride of Christ and ever more refined to become what Jesus is calling us to be. Last point. Sarah's getting antsy. Last point. <laughs> I'm terrible, aren't I? Last point. Take heart, Jesus says, I'll be with you. Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go out. Charlie Lavin preached on it in August. Therefore, go out and make disciples of every nation, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. The Lord Jesus Christ is with us. And I want us to get just briefly a vision of who he is that is with us. It's very easy, I think, to take away from Jesus' ministry that he is gentle and he comes alongside and he lifts people up. And all of that is wonderful, but he acquires a different status. And if, if you've got a minute, just to turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. This will be my last scripture. And verse 16, I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. This is the Jesus who is walking amongst us. The seven lampstands are the, the seven lights of the churches, and Jesus speaks to them at length in the next couple of chapters of Revelation. This is the Jesus who is walking amongst us. And John, the apostle writing Revelation, we have to put ourselves in his shoes for a minute and just imagine what it was like for him to see Jesus in this way. Because John is the one who leaned back against the shoulder of Jesus and said, Jesus, which is the one who is going to betray you? And Jesus pointed out Judas Iscariot. And, and so John has known this intimate and close relationship with Jesus, and he's, he's always had a real feel for Jesus' heart. And now towards the end of John's life, he's seeing Jesus in this incredible glory, this sword coming out of his mouth, um, this glow in his face, and the, the sound of his voice, and he's just overwhelmed. And this is the Jesus that stands with us, folks. Revelation describes him as King of kings and Lord of lords, leading the armies of heaven. And he's leading us this year. He's walking with us. He's empowering us. He's encouraging us. Will we look to him? You can say amen to that. <laughs> My points, if I can remember them. Jesus said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. Take heart, for I will build my church. Take heart, for I am preparing a place for you. Take heart, for I will come again. 
and take heart, for I will be with you. Let's stand and pray. Thank you, Jesus.